Welcome everybody to Streamed and Screened from Lee Enterprises, this podcast about movies and TV shows that are coming out that are worth your time. And fresh off of Fleet Week, we got the whole the whole posse here. We got Jared McNetz, a reporter in Sioux City. And we have Bruce Miller, who's the editor of the Sioux City Journal, longtime entertainment reporter. And uh, Bruce is actually just coming back from Fleet Week. Not that you went to New York for Fleet Week, but. No, no, it's, although, you know, it's, it's usually the same time that I go. I have not been in New York for three years because of the pandemic. And I was determined to get back because I love to go see the shows before, the Broadway shows before the Tony Awards. So I can talk about them, write about them, kind of, drink it all in before it's time. And so this was a year we were gonna do it. And you know, there's that pandemic that you worry about, but heck, people were not seeming to slow down because of it. They were still doing a lot of things. They were out there. 300,000 people were in Times Square over the holiday weekend. And it was stuffed with people. And then there were sailors who were doing like contests to see who could pull up the most and who could pull a rope and who could do whatever. So I don't think that crowd was necessarily going to Broadway musicals, but it well could have been that they were looking for some other kind of show on the streets of New York. But they are also the the target audience for uh, a movie that we are all uh, very excited to talk about. And they got to see it in advance. Jared. What are we leading off with today? Maybe, maybe obviously, but <laughs> launch us off the deck, Jared. Top Gun, colon, Maverick. I went and saw it on Friday and it was completely sold out. There was not an empty seat anywhere in the entire theater, which even if I'm trying to remember from like the two most recent Marvel movies that I actually went and sat through, even those had a few empty seats, but for this, there was not an empty seat to be found, and everyone was all the way in from the jump, as was I. The action set pieces all the way through were to an extent that I could not look away. I was like, I have to see every second of this. I was leaning more and more forward in my chair during like some of the scenes because they're absolutely like nerve-wracking and exhilarating and all those other you know, descriptors you would use, which I come to expect from Tom Cruise movies at this point, And he somehow manages to keep delivering on uh, that front. And then weirdly parts of the movie were like incredibly charming that I was not expecting either. Val Kilmer's appearance in the movie I thought was very well handled. I think a lot of other movies, if they had tried to pull that off, might have botched it and done a very poor job of like paying tribute uh, the way Top Gun did. And yeah, I, I loved it. It was big and like bombastic, but also kind of beautiful. Bruce, when did you see it? I saw it yesterday. You know, I think this is the movie that's going to save the movie industry. I really do. Because you have to see this in a theater. This is not something that you can really sit and watch at home on your whatever 40 inch, 60 inch, whatever it is screen that you've got. You need that experience. You need the sound. You need that kind of feeling like you are there and you're in that pilot seat with Tom Cruise. So I think if more film producers would look at this as their guide into the future, they'd realize that maybe we don't need as many films, but when you do do a film, you better take advantage of what the bells and whistles are because that's what will get people back in theaters. They can see all those indie films on any number of streaming services, but you can't really see a Top Gun like this 
on a TV screen. So I think that's that's the big lesson or the takeaway for me is that yes, movies are still gonna be around, but they need to be special. And I think this is an example of that specialness that you need. You need that big sound. You need those, those kind of moments where you feel like you're in the clutch. And the idea that you're with other people also helps. You feel that you're there, you're in a unified kind of situation that you're all sharing and you can feel the tension with the people that are next to you, hopefully masked. Collectively, you could say that you're hoping that everyone's experiencing the danger zone. The danger zone, yes. And they, uh, we got a new, a new catchphrase, I believe. From John Hamm, when he's talking about you can't go below the- uh... The hard deck? Yeah. The catchphrase is, don't think, just do. Oh, yep. Don't think, just do is like the need for speed. Now, when you look at it as a movie, if I were watching this on TV at home, I would say it looks very much like those 80s, 90s movies. It has the, all the kind of plot points and the elements that you're looking for. But what they're not doing is using a lot of green screen to screw you up. They're doing the real stuff. And that's where I think movies went wrong. They started throwing this green screen crap at us with everything. Every film suddenly had, you know, three universes that are hung on the back end of things. And it's some guy standing in front of a big old green screen. But this, when they're showing them inside the, the cockpit of the, of the plane, when they're showing the air around them, when they're showing all of that kind of, the photography is incredible. And I think that's, that's that element. You've got to be more realistic about this. You can't just pull a uh, George Lucas and put everything up on the background and call it good. Well, it's interesting that you bring up George Lucas because all of the, the articles coming out about Obi-Wan are you know, some of the broadest coverage that I think their Star Wars TV show process uh, that they've been using, where they've been employing, it's a, I don't know, what is it, like 50, 60, 70, 100 foot tall, you know, LCD screen that they call the volume. I'm sure it's got some technical title, uh, but they project everything on there. So it'll look like it's the background, the, you know, stars, if you're in the Millennium Falcon or whatever, it'll look like you're actually, you know, going into to hyperdrive. You get that effect and the stars get to react to that. And it seems like everything is much better because of that, because you can do a lot more that's just in camera and Top Gun. I mean, with them having the cameras in the planes, on the planes, having the actors trained to take you know, these however many G's they, they actually got up to without, you know, blacking out and puking and whatever else. Mach 10. Yeah. Having, uh, having some of the actors uh, learn to become uh, better uh, bartenders uh, just for the sake of a movie, just to keep up with uh, Tom Cruise and how much of a maniac he is with like preparing for stuff. I thought that was funny to read about with Jennifer Conley for uh, Top Gun Maverick, who was great in it. Jennifer Conley was one of my favorite parts uh, of the movie, even though, I don't know if like all the relationship beats with her and uh, Tom Cruise worked in the movie or not, but I thought Jennifer Connelly just like in that movie was was wonderful too. If there's anything that I could ding the movie for, that's really about it. They spent so much time laying the track for the the rooster maverick relationship in just the right you know subtle ways. It never felt like it was too hard on the nose, but spent a lot of time developing those, those characters and, and that backstory to where it felt authentic. 
and then the Jennifer Connelly stuff, it just felt like they, they kind of skipped over uh, certain aspects of that. I'm wondering if there'll be a, you know, director's cut or something. It seems like, like if they were going to do a, a longer cut of it, that would be what would end up going in. Well, the idea that he's 50 something and he's just kind of batting around the edges of everything. There are questions we have here that I'd like some answers to, but I'm not going to ask the questions. Are you, are you saying that the, the age is in relation to the, the relationship with her or. I mean, but he would have been flushed out by now with the, with the job. So what has he been doing all these years, just kind of hanging around as this kind of, and then he comes to this bar and isn't it interesting that this woman is just, she's just available and could possibly be that interest. Well, did he not have any other relationships between then or was Kelly McGillis somewhere in the picture? And she, you know, there, there are things that aren't answered if you're really going to put a, a sharp pin to it, but I don't care at this point. I just kind of go with it because you go, okay, you're right. I feel sorry for John Hamm because John Hamm has to be kind of the, the bad guy, if you will. Yeah, he, he has to be like the version of like a Dean in like a college comedy where he just is like a real stick in the mud. <laughs> yeah. This is not a part that you would want him to play because he's really good at playing the rebel. And then you go, he's Dean Jagger. You know, is he really going to be that guy that's yelling at everybody and saying, I, I, I can't believe this. This is terrible. And then he gives those kind of eyes every once in a while where it's like, oh, really? I can't believe this. So really, he didn't need to be that kind of whatever. But for better or worse, he got the job. And you never really know what country that is that they're trying to take out. They say that it's Iran, but it's also I think they, they say it once in passing and then that's it because it's like we talked about last episode of of this you know podcast where you can't really target any of these countries anymore in in films um without (laughs) alienating that audience in a way that isn't financially beneficial to the film right how did you guys feel about uh how they handled uh val kilmer in the movie and i thought he had a he had a lot of dignity which was good once they started doing the the text messages to kind of introduce him, and then when he goes and sits with him and he starts typing on the computer, it's I, you kind of know that like the next step is going to be him actually saying things out loud just because it's going to give it that much more heft. Uh, and I mean, sure enough, that was just the the way that it kind of elevated those. It was a great scene, and it ended on just the right note uh, between the two of them. Everything about this movie, it feels like it was to a certain degree crafted in a lab for, <laughs> you know. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But there's any number of things that also have, have been, you know, been intended to be crafted in a lab and then end up coming out looking like, you know, some Frankenstein monster. And yes, maybe that is me referencing the <laughs> the, the monsters uh, series of films that Tom Cruise was, you know, adjacently associated with. So. To me, this is like a, a platonic ideal of like a legacy sequel, other than maybe Mad Max Fury Road, which got a lot weirder in terms of legacy sequels. But like, I think that one and this one are like two of the best possible outcomes you could have for making a, a sequel so far after the fact of like an original movie, because you have some of the original stars 
but you don't just like bring back everybody. So you can just be like, Hey, remember this, like, you know, third tier uh, actor that was in like two seconds of the original, they're back too. Uh, it doesn't do that. It brings in new people that make sense and feel like earned in terms of like, you know, the legacy people of these people from the original movie. And, you know, it certainly doesn't hurt that it's actually a like really good, compelling uh, movie too. Like it checked all the boxes for me for like what these kind of sequels can be. And then you top it with Lady Gaga's song. <laughs> That's going to be an Oscar nominee. I can tell you that right now. Oh, well, of course. Oh, yeah. Although I, I will kind of say I like I, I appreciated that and that was a good song and everything, but like I'm a sucker for uh, for Giorgio uh, Mordor even when he's not doing uh, Top Gun related stuff because I just love how catchy but also cheesy like his music is and can be and the movie could have used maybe a little bit more cheese when it comes to the the music maybe but you know I mean I think it was the I mean there might have been room for a little bit more but. Even from the the opening credits, just seeing that font, oh yeah, hit the screen, you get that rush of like, oh, they're doing this correctly, and then you know the all of the same you know musical score elements. The I don't know would it be a gong or a bell or whatever it is that you know is kind of rolling through over the credits and stuff, and you know kind of pacing the whole tension out. I mean, it, yeah, I'm incredibly happy with it. One other thing I got to shout out is. Uh, Shout out to my uh, my guy, Glenn Powell, who I have always been delighted to see since he showed up in uh, Everybody Wants Some, the Richard Linklater movie from uh, like 2016. That guy is so good at just playing very charming, very smug dudes, and which is perfect for this kind of movie because, you know, pilots have a, a, a penchant for being cocky. And so, like, why not get a guy who's like very good at doing that, but still being lovable? He could be the Greg Niedermeyer of the remake of Animal House. 1,000%, yes. The one thing I thought was kind of interesting was that apparently as much of a rover as he is, Maverick has a really good photo collection. Yeah. And he has a bulletin board that's neatly arranged so that then you can just hit every picture of key moments in the lives of all these people. I, he, I said he was like a um, high school senior's mother who has collected all this crap and then has it up on graduation party day. You looked at that and you thought, okay, yeah, he's got that. Okay, check, check, check. We saw all those people. But you got to give Tom Cruise a lot of credit. He still looks good. Hasn't aged at all. How they did that or how they managed that. Of course, it was like finished, what, three years ago? So maybe three years really took a toll on him. I don't know. (laughs) But he looks good in this film and I buy it. I buy the idea that he would be doing this kind of thing. The thing that is interesting to me is the the name that we have not mentioned at all. And <laughs> I mean, I even had to jump up and pull up this guy's name because I didn't, it's, it's not really connected to the movie, is the director, Joseph Kaczynski. Tron. Yeah, Tron. Um, and he has the new uh, Spiderhead, uh, which is coming out later this year, also starring Miles Teller. A couple of years ago, he did only the Brave, which like was actually a pretty pretty strong movie about like uh, firefighters. Another Miles Teller uh, affair, yeah. Yep. But he's someone where it's like we we haven't really talked about him, and I know that I mean the Tron Legacy movie is sort of memory hold at this point. People don't really think about it at all. So it seems like this is much more of a Tom Cruise movie than it has anything to do with the director. 
more power to Joseph Kaczynski and whatever, you know, sterling silver ego he's got where he can kind of, you know. Maybe it would have been a different film if they'd released it, you know, back when they were scheduled to. And maybe they've been tinkering all this time and they find, well, let's do this, let's do that. And when you have enough time, you can tweak it so it looks exactly what you want it to be. Any other feelings about Top Gun? I just thought you were going to say you thought it was interesting that the one person we didn't mention was Miles Teller, who actually I thought was more than okay in this movie. I'm not the biggest Miles Teller fan. I don't dislike him either. I'm just like kind of right stuck in the middle with uh, with Miles Teller. But I, I appreciated him in this too. He doesn't have that much to do. No. He's kind of a plot device. And again, you, you'll question, well, why didn't Tom Cruise make some kind of overture to him before all this? Because if you're the best friend and dad died, and wouldn't you kind of be that father figure? The guilt that's been on his chest for all those years. This was eating at me a little bit with his uh, with his character. So his character's code name is Rooster, right? If he's the son of someone whose code name is Goose, why is his code name not Gosling? Why is it why is it Rooster? Why did we go with a totally different uh, bird for the the son of? It also seems like Miles Teller's character, Rooster, has been, uh, he hasn't made his his lineage very well known. It's not something that he's trying to coast on in the slightest. He's not cashing that chip. Great mustache, too. Great mustache. It's great casting just on looks alone for him to be, you know, he's got a lot of Anthony Edwards uh, genetics kind of floating around in there. You know, I liked Bob. Uh, I thought Bob was a fun character. And until the credits rolled, I didn't realize that was Bill Pullman's son. Oh, I didn't realize that either. That's all three of us. And I even like watched like Bad Times at the El Royale a couple years ago. And that's also Lewis Pullman. And I like that movie. And I did not realize that either until getting out of Top Gun and being like, that guy looked really, really familiar. Why does he look so familiar? So there's our Bob shout out for the day. There we go. Shouts to Bob. We can kind of use this as a moment to transition into talking about streaming stuff and say if, if anybody didn't get to last week's episode, uh, we have an interview between Bruce Miller and Danny Boyle about Pistol, which is the, the entire limited series is hitting Hulu. I believe it's out as I am saying these words. Check it out on Hulu. Uh, but we also have at the end of this episode will be an interview between Bruce and Craig Pierce. Craig wrote Pistol, and he also wrote the, the upcoming Elvis film, the one with Austin Butler, directed by Baz Luhrmann. Very excited for that. And he talks about, he compares the two. He compares the, um, the world of uh, the Sex Pistols, which were kind of revolutionary, and then what Elvis was. What was his contribution to changing the, the marketplace? So it's fascinating to hear how he, you know, kind of did a deep dive into all of this, and then wrote two films that were coming out right now. Elvis, which got a, what was it, like a 15 minute standing ovation at Cannes this year, as opposed to another movie that's coming out this weekend, which was Crimes of the Future, directed by David Cronenberg, which uh, I think he, I don't, I don't know if I caught, were there actual walkouts? I know that he was predicting walkouts. I think there ended up being a couple, but nothing like in mass uh, people walking out of the okay. Cronenberg's. Uh, because Crimes of the Future is a return to form for David Cronenberg in a way he is. David Cronenberg is probably best known for all of his body horror, thinking of The Fly and uh, <laughs> Dead Ringers. Dead Ringers. Videodrome. 
And then in more recent years, in the past, you know, 10, 20 years, he's kind of moved, moved away from that a little bit and done, you know, more uh, history of violence and Eastern promises, these more kind of noir uh, occasional bursts of violence. But Crimes of the Future is, like I said, a, a return to form with that, where you've got stars Viggo Mortensen, Leah Seydoux, and Kristen Stewart, and involves the National Organ Registry tracking uh, these performance artists who uh, are involved in showcasing the, the metamorphosis of, of their organs in avant-garde <laughs> scenarios. Uh, it, yeah, watch the trailer. I'm just advocating broadly to listeners to watch the trailer and you, you should be able to determine if it's a movie for, for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're out on the trailer, it's not going to get any better in a, a full run time for you. No, for me, I'm psyched. I can't wait. I've talked about this before on here. And like one of the reasons I go to the movies and one thing I'll always be forgiving about if other parts of a movie are a little bit lacking sometimes is like, if you show me something, I'm not going to be able to see anywhere else. I will be happy. And I guarantee we're going to get plenty of that throughout David Cronenberg's new movie, Crimes of the Future. That's the safest bet possible. You're looking for the, the carnival sideshow elements. You know, you, you can't see it until the circus rolls into town and you got the, <laughs> the geek out back. <laughs> this is very much a movie about the geek. <laughs> Pistol on Hulu, uh, Crimes of the Future coming out this weekend everywhere i believe bruce i know that you have seen a handful of episodes of season three of the boys which is coming out on june 3rd on amazon prime a continuation of that uh show about kind of policing superheroes the darker side of superheroes they're not good guys necessarily they're part of a corporate structure there's a lot of intrigue and they're a group of dissidents that are trying to take out or expose the superheroes, the seven. It's interesting how right away, right away, the first episode is so dirty, 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 that if you are not a boys fan, you will just turn it off immediately so that you won't really get to see what's happening to the seven and who is Who's on first, what's on second, and I don't know who's on third. Homelander is in a lot of trouble. If you are familiar with all the Anthony, Anthony Starr, who uh, plays that kind of cocky leader of the bunch, he is in big, big trouble. Dead-eyed psychopath. Right. <laughs> and then um, the guy who is dating one of the seven, played by Jack Quaid, is working kind of in a corporate job that's related to all of this. They know that he's dating her and they know that there's some kind of connection, but there's still this whole bunch of angst. Well, you get to see people audition for the open spots in the seven. And there's a guy who used to be in a boy band who is very funny. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there and it is dark, dark, violent, and dirty. I'm just telling you this, I wish I could tell you what goes on in that first episode, but there will be nudity. There will be nudity and something that you'd never expected happens. I mean, yeah, at this point, the boys is a show that has cultivated its audience. No one will have made it through the first two seasons of the boys and watched the, the third season. I can't imagine that they're capable of doing anything that would turn off their, their fan base just with 
uh, either, you know, gore or over the top, you know, profanity or anything boundary pushing in, in, in those ways. They've got the tone down. They've really worked the angles on, on how to get the vibe right on this show, which could have been terrible. And I'm sure that other people would disagree and say that it is terrible. There's a lot of wrong ways to do this show and, and only, only a few right ways. It could have been a lot more like bantery than it was or stuff like that. Those are definitely the big ones where it could have taken a wrong turn. Yeah. Are you two boys fans? Casually. Okay. Like it's not something where I'm, you know, I don't have a calendar with the the release date circled, but I couldn't tell you necessarily where the other season left off, but I enjoy what I've seen. I really am not a a superhero Marvel kind of person. I don't really don't care about those kinds of films, but I like this because it tends to open up the dirty laundry of superheroes. And I love that idea that they're kind of tweaking the, the genre so that on the surface, it looks like they're good, but then behind the scenes, they're just awful to each other. And they're doing all these kind of underhanded things. And I think that's a lot of what politics is too. They try to present this, picture of uh, perfection or they know what they're talking about. And then they're just as bad off as the people that they're bad mouthing. So for me, I revel in that. I like that. But I do think that in some cases, you know, exploding heads, those kinds of things, they do go a little far. And I think that's to please the people that are, are big fans that are looking for some of those shock moments. The core of it really is the, you know, power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely and superpowers are the worst kind <laughs> of, of corrupted power especially when you get when you're using that to reflect a society where accountability is just gone but you like it bruce i do i yeah and i i was drawn in right away i i thought okay i i'm ready for another season even though i think it could have ended or it could have seemed like it ended and I would have been fine with it. But there's another kind of door to a, a, another world. And I think until they actually have a showdown, it won't be over. Um, something that I am, uh, and I, we talked about this last week, that I'm only just a, a casual fan of that I actually uh, went and saw yesterday and was uh, totally delighted by. I went and saw the Bob's Burgers uh, movie at AMC yesterday. And it was just a total joy. Like I, one of the reasons I love having like my uh, AMC pass shameless plug for the AMC pass, that's uh, $20 a month. And you can see uh, three movies a week. AMC uh, hit me up sometime to, to sponsor me, but it like, that's totally the kind of movie that's meant to go see. If you have one of those kind of like passes, because you know, it's not some blockbuster. It's not some indie darling. It's just like a very, well-made really charming movie that's an hour and a half and you know you're out of the theater and I loved it and I was blown away by how many really funny people they got to show up in the movie even for just like bit parts like Jordan Peele does a voice for a character that's maybe in the Bob's Burgers movies for like five seconds and is like the 30th person credited because like just all of the funniest people showed up and, and did voices in this which was like I said, totally charming. There's not a better word for it than that. I'm excited. I definitely need to get to see that. So we're winding down. We will plug the interview. But before that... Oh, is there news? Is there, is, is there some other news? Something coming back, maybe? There, there's one last thing that, that we need to push. And it is 
the most uh, confectionary thing that I think we all can agree on here. And that's Floor is Lava, which is coming back to Netflix for season two on June 3rd. Bruce. Oh my God. I have been waiting for that since the pandemic began because that it got me through the first few weeks of the pandemic and bring it on. I'm ready. Grab the mantle. Make sure you jump over to the cushion. <laughs> Do not hold so that you could slide off. These are all things I want to see again. Don't go the table route. Stop going that way. It doesn't work. One thing that I, I will say about this is I'm, I feel like this is a show that the the binge method of Netflix just dumping all, you know, 10 or 15 or however many episodes that are coming is is going to be a disservice where if they parceled it out, it would get a much bigger bounce, you know, consistently. They the Howie Mandel game show that they had on there about, you know, lying and whatever was kind of the same thing where it was interesting, but it would have been a lot more interesting if it had been day to day or you know two episodes and then weekly or something so i'm rooting for flora's lava i'm gonna be there for it bruce i know you are oh i'll binge i'll binge the whole thing we want swag we want we want flora's lava branded uh shoes we are so flora's lava lava lamp that's that's the that's the one they gotta have perfect yeah man do you guys think at all that you know, this will come back. And I am excited about this because it's such just a low stakes, goofy show. But do you think at all this might be one of those things, too, that really benefited from coming out when it did during the pandemic because people just wanted something to talk about that wasn't the pandemic? And so coming back now, like people aren't going to be as engaged with it, maybe. I know that's a weighty question for such a you simple know, show. But. No. All right. We were locked up in the house. When we think I could play this in my house, jumping from chair to chair to ottoman, whatever it might be, it gave us a sense that there was a connection to the outside world, if that makes sense. And so I think it was very much um, a benefactor from the pandemic. I think that it had to have that to really catch on because you go, oh, that's something that Nickelodeon should be doing, really. But for the rest of us, it turned out to be something that, yeah, I like that because we we got away from our own troubles for a minute. We were watching other people making stupid decisions. And, you know, what was the the upshot? I don't even know what they won, you know? What yeah, the, the prize was like very low stakes in, in that show. And just the give them a that, piece of the aggro crag, you know? I mean, just... Yeah. That's, <laughs> and who are these people that you were stuck with? You know, you're thinking like, oh... Who's the weakest link? I'll tell you who the weakest link here is. It's very easy to spot. But you didn't need to have any kind of uh, intelligence, if you will. You weren't answering questions about trivia. You were just jumping to things. And if it were, if the world were on fire, what would you do? You'd just go by instinct. More, more than like one, from what I remember, more than one of those teams seemed to be formed from like people making friendships at the gym and like, I guess I was just not aware that like this many people are making friendships at the gym that turn into like, yeah, this is a person I would trust to go on a game show with. No, I'd make them go first. Gym culture in general is <laughs> a little, a little foreign to me. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what goes on in there. You know? <laughs> what I would do though, is I would let those gym rats go first so that then I could see what mistakes they were making and not make the same mistake. Absolutely. 
I mean, it's not but, like uh, American Gladiators where every single player was just some, you know, off-duty Chicago cop. <laughs> but Bruce? Pistol, if you have not seen it, but you need to see it. It's about the sex pistols. Danny Boyle directed the, the six-part miniseries, and it gives you a sense of how the punk movement got going in Great Britain. Malcolm McLaren is kind of considered one of the architects of all of this. He's played by Thomas Brody Sangster, who was in The Queen's Gambit. And he and Craig Pierce talked to me in this interview. You'll get a chance to see what this means in a larger sense. Um, because Craig Pierce wrote both this and the Elvis movie directed by Baz Luhrmann, he had a good sense of, of how these kind of iconic musicians help shape the way that people responded to the times. And they all admit that teenagers were a, a real big silent majority for a, a long period of time. And then we saw these kinds of the rebels, Elvis, he's out there shaking his hips and that kind of riled the parents and the kids kind of liked it. And then later on, the Sex Pistols came out and they just, they just threw it all up and said, no, we can do whatever we want. You're not telling us. And I think that's a, a good way of looking at this. It's a way to see when times changed and how um, this has made an impact on us today. I think it's so, really interesting that these are two things that the, the Elvis movie and, and Pistol are uh, written by the same guy because they you know, capture two different generations uh, you know, hitting that uh, you know, rebellious age and you know, all the, the seeds you know, kind of coming from that. Time for me to musically uh, dork out for a second because there is even more like overlap than that because like you know you mentioned how like one of the characters in uh, Pistol Bruce is a uh, Malcolm McLaren and for like that time period and for the Sex Pistols he's very much just like the English and punk rock version of Colonel Tom Parker was for Elvis like this guy that really just like willed a lot of this stuff and like helped present this very carefully crafted uh, image that didn't seem carefully crafted because it's you know very rebellious and it's rock and roll but was very carefully crafted to appeal to as big an audience as possible. And that's the way Colonel Tom Parker did with Elvis. He was telling yep. him, you do this, you do that. No, you can't do that. And maybe he wanted to do a whole other thing, but he wasn't allowing him to. So it's, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, and uh, Craig Pierce is from Australia, interestingly. So he wasn't around either of these, you know, in their, in their heyday, um, in their specific element australia so, does have its own little uh you know 70s early 80s you know punk scene um the saints being the one of the great examples but we'll uh we'll leave that there for anybody to do their own uh <laughs> do their own homework uh and yeah so we got the um that interview coming up shortly jared you want to take us out here man absolutely again uh good vibes this week no problems at the local cineplex I got to see trailers for uh, the new Mission Impossible and the new Avatar uh, when I went to the movies this weekend. So I'm in a good mood. So I'll just uh, go ahead and say, as you're coming out of a, a three-day weekend, um, if you want to continue those good weekend uh, vibes, you can do it all week long by staying at home and uh, streaming something good from the comfort of your own sofa. Or you can uh, stroll on down to your local uh, Nickelodeon or whatever type of movie theater it is you have now and uh screen something good see something good stream something good 
and uh, stick around for Bruce's interview. Craig, you really have had a deep dive this year doing Elvis and now doing this. Are they really that influential? Are they really the kind of people who have made a difference or what did you what did you discover? Yeah, I think they're both those uh, both those movements, you know, Elvis, rock and roll and and punk have made an incredible difference. I think with punk, punk really said Look, if you've got something to say, get up and say it. Don't be scared to get up and have a go. And you might fail or you might ignite something that changes the world. And that's what, that's what the Sex Pistols did. I mean, they had a very brief, very short, very explosive career. And that detonation sent ripples out into the world that still continue today. I mean, you see their their influence you know in fashion in art and music you, you know it's still very very strong very very pre- prevalent you know if you think and, of a world without punk it would be a very very different world and what about elvis did he just well, shake I, things up was that it well you know with with elvis uh the thing with early Elvis is that they wanted to put him in jail because he was he was a threat to segregation in the South and he was spied on along with a lot of other artists and and seen as a real threat to that terribly racist society that that he existed in. Yeah, Thomas, you must have done a deep dive into the Beatles then when uh, you were doing that film, right? Mm-hmm. And did you see that they were just as huge as these two? Or where do you put the Beatles? They were huge fans of Elvis. They wanted to be rock and roll stars. They, they, they wanted to get the girls and they wanted to play music and, um, and do the coolest thing on the planet at the time, which was, which was this new form of music um, that originated in the black culture of America and it kind of got turned around and, and played around with and turned into this kind of worldly music that got that forced people to get up and dance after um, you know spending so many years of war um, in Europe and now we have this 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 new generation that's coming along and and with it the fashion the jackets the leather jackets the, the big puffy dresses the girls were wearing the cars the, the art the culture and it all went with the music did and you so see those, that, those boys wanted to get up and just do the coolest thing, which was form a band. Did you see, though, that Malcolm was that much of a Svengali that he really could control things or? Um, yeah, I think he, I think he definitely liked to have control. Um, he, would, he, would, he would keep hold of control. Um, and he, I mean, I, he did pit the boys up against one another because he wanted to create tension. Um, and with tension comes that kind of electricity that um, that generates art. Um, I think that's how he saw it, really. Could you relate to that at all? Did you say, <laughs> oh, God, I could never do this? Or, yes, this is me. Um, no, I don't, I don't quite think in that same way. Um, I understand the concept of um, creating art out of pure chaos. Um, uh, I don't... But I mean, if you have too much structure, I suppose, um, then you're too regimented. Yeah, you, you can lose the flow, I suppose, um, especially if you're doing something creative, something artistic. Um, it, it is good to kind of let things 
just kind of go and happen. As soon as I start holding on to, like a scene, for example, if I get too much in my head or I'm thinking too much about the direction and trying to hit too many beats and do technical stuff at the same time, like hit my mark and catch the light, then suddenly it gets a bit uh, all too much and it needs to be completely stripped back down and, and destroyed in order to, to, to bring it back to life again. So, so maybe, doing, maybe in some ways. Doing this, how did it change both of you? Did, you? did it make you seem like I should take more risks or... What yeah. impact did it have? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think I, I've been inspired somewhat by the bravery of what they of what they did and, and how they approached life because they had very little to lose. They basic, basically, Steve had nothing to lose. You know, he had no family to speak of, unloved, um, disregarded by society, undiagnosed attention deficit disorder, told he was an idiot. He had nothing. He would have been dead if he, if he didn't. If he, if he, if the Sex Pistols hadn't succeeded, so and he didn't become a, a you know revered musician, he would be dead by now. So I think that example of of taking a chance of risking everything is something you have to continually re remind yourself as a creative person because it's very easy to get scared and to stop taking risks. I mean, you know, the very first film that I wrote. Strictly Borum with Baz Luhrmann. We weren't in the dire situation that, that those forgotten kids were from the forgotten generation who became the Sex Pistols and their followers and the other artists of, the, of that movement. But for us, it was live or die. You know, we didn't, we are, we're just gonna crash or crash through. And I think you have to continue to take risks as, as a creative person. It's good to be reminded of that by, you know, looking at the Sex Pistols and what they And did. you, Thomas, you did too? Yeah, no, I would agree with that com statement completely. Um, I'm, I'm someone that does like my comforts. Um, I generally live, quite, I think, quite a simple life, and I quite enjoy that. I like, you know, my pillow. and um, <laughs> You're not just going to sleep anywhere, right? Yeah, but, I mean, you know, it's important to make sure you, you know, get out there and exercise your mind, your soul, and what you have to offer to the world. And you do that best when you when you do take risks and you and you react on impulse and um, and you trust yourself and you learn to trust that impulse that that comes from within you um, uh, and you, you you yeah you may make mistakes but that's that's okay that's that's good if anything sure. um, so no it's 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 definitely taught me that. Well, thank you both. It was very fun to watch. I enjoyed every bit of it. So, oh, oh that's great. Good. I'm glad. Lovely to meet you. You can find our show all the places that you find your shows, uh, and subscribe to those places. Give us ratings, reviews. Uh, we'll have links to everything in the show notes, uh, the movies we talked about, any articles, any other uh, footnoted, worthy adjacent things uh, will be in there uh, as well as links to our social media, et cetera. So uh, find all that there. We will be back next week with more fun stuff, more interviews and all that. Don't think, just do.